0: Welcome to Tax Wrap, the podcast of Tax and Super Australia. Each fortnight, we present news and insights to tax and SMSF practitioners. If you've got any questions, comments or even suggestions, get in touch at podcast at taxandsuperaustralia.com.au. Hello listeners, welcome to the Tax Wrap podcast. We're into episode 197. I'm your host, Steve Burnham. And today I'm joined by Tax and Super Australia's Tax Council, John Jeffries. Thanks for being with us, John. Sure, Steve. Good to be here. Uh, now I uh, I sit over a petition from John and the uh, tax technical team and hear various discussions that the, that they have with uh, our members because the members get six helpline calls a year and they can call up get an answer to a curly question and John handles a lot of those. And now, uh, John, you you were speaking earlier, well, last week about uh, I heard uh, double tax agreements. I didn't quite hear all the details, but uh, yeah. it sounded interesting, as, as it were. What was the details?
1: So, Steve, um, Australia has a number of double tax agreements with other countries, yeah. and the purpose of this is to stop double taxation. So, it sorts out who can tax what income. Yeah, there's about forty agreements, I believe. Yeah, yeah there's quite a quite a few of them. Yeah, and. Uh, One of the items, or some of the items that are in these treaties, is that they deal with dividends, interest and royalties. So when they cross the borders from one country to another, what's the
0: tax? Hmm. Because does it change between countries, naturally?
1: Yes, so there's the question, uh, there are different withholding rates uh, for different sorts of income uh, within the countries. Uh, and there's also the question of what the domestic country does oh, with right. these things. But
0: the home country, like, as in Australia for us. Hmm. I mean, it's, it sounds complicated
1: to me. Well, uh, the idea of the double tax agreement is to set the maximum rate that the country with whom we have the agreement, and mm-hmm. also ourselves, yep. can withhold or tax that particular type of income. I see. So... Uh, this is different from business-style income. So, for example, uh, the treaty with Indonesia, uh, the dividends, uh, we can't um, tax them to greater than 15%, and the same from Indonesia. Right. And then interest, the uh, the tax can't exceed 10% of the gross amount. And sorry, I should have said dividends, 15% of the gross amount. Right, oh yeah, yep. And also royalties. Now, royalties, um, there are two rates uh, in the Indonesian treaty, 10% or 15%. Right. And royalties are something that do need to be watched because um, many countries have different uh, views about how they define royalties and uh, how they're taxed. So Right. the um, the issue I just want to bring out of this, Steve, yep. is that some people think that by looking at the double tax agreement, you can work out what the tax rate is going to be out of a particular country. And that's just not correct. So what it does is it sets the maximum rate at which the withholding uh, can be made in relation to that particular company right. uh, uh, country. Yep. Now, the next thing, though, is whether... It is in the domestic tax law of that country whether they decide to charge that rate. So you have to go to the domestic tax law. So for example, looking at it from an Australian's point of view, yeah. if, if a fully frank dividend is paid out of Australia, there is no withholding tax on that, despite that it's going to a treaty partner country. Yep, yep. Um, and so it, it's always just well to understand that you don't look up the double tax treaty to try and determine what is the withholding rate out of a particular country. All the treaty does is tell you what is the maximum rate, right. and then it's up to the domestic country or yep. uh, the Who is, country... Yep, yep. doing the tax. Yep. Doing the tax for them to decide what rate they will apply. Okay.
0: Is the maximum set at, well, to that country's tax regime, I mean, 15% for Indonesia, you said for dividends, uh, are dividends taxed at 15% or more than that or less than that? Uh,
1: Do I don't know, know from Indonesia, okay. but that's that's just uh, what's come out of the negotiations okay. between our authorities and their authorities right. in the past, yep. and uh, so that's the, uh, that's the situation. So they've just agreed that uh, dividends, for example, flowing either way will not be taxed any greater mm. than 15%.
0: So it sounds like really you've got to look at each agreement. If you're t- dealing with someone who's uh, a, say, Danish national or whatever, <coughs> it sounds like you've got to look at that double tax agreement for that country. Well, first of
1: all, the domestic tax law of that country. Oh, domestic tax law, right, yeah. right, right. And then uh, the double tax treaty will tell you what the maximum rate is, but you have to go to the domestic tax law of that country to work out what the actual rate is going to be. Okay, right.
0: Now, look, another topic that floats over the the uh, petition, <laughs> uh, I hear a lot of uh, discussion about property and tax. Um, there's been a little bit of that lately. Um, what are some of the standout uh, helpline topics for, sure. about property?
1: So we certainly get a lot of uh, questions about property, mm. uh, lots of people doing interesting things with property. A <laughs> uh, particular one uh, that I just want to talk about today is someone purchased a property with a number of uh, units on it, mm-hmm. uh, in one building actually. And then uh, they decided to strata title those units in the building, and so there was expenditure that was incurred uh, on that. And uh, after they had strata titled the units, mm-hmm. they then disposed of some of those units. Right. And so, uh, and I might just add that in this particular situation, the gains on the sale of the units were on capital account because it was the air intention to. Rent the units out. So, just um, to make that clear. Right. And so uh, the issues here were uh, uh, because there was expenditure on strata titling the units within the 12 month period uh, in which they were sold, uh, could you get a 50% discount in relation to the disposal? Because of of the general discount, okay. Yeah, so the 12 month rule. Yep. Also, there's the issue of just the general CGT implications of strata titling units. All oh, right. right. So um, just to explain that, when you strata title units, uh, yes, you are creating a new asset, and on the face of it, that's a CGT event. However, uh, the government thought about this, and in section 112-25, uh, there is actually deemed to be no CGT event when you strata title units. Just as long as the person that owns uh, the unstrata titled units beneficially owns them after they've been strata titled. So the same person, same, same yes. entity, or entity or person. Uh, it could be either entity, entity or person. All oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So um, just some other aspects to do with strata titling. Sometimes um, uh, people um, can have a right to occupy a unit in a building where the the units aren't yet strata titled. So you you do have a right to occupy it, you pay something uh, for that right. And then if the units are strata strata titled, it's then the case that uh, you get this new asset, which is the ownership of the strata titled unit. Right. And so what's the capital gains tax implications there? Well, under uh, section 124-190, there is a rollover that's available uh, if you own the property and it gives you a right to occupy the unit in the building and the building owner subdivides it into strata units and the owner transfers to you the strata unit that corresponds to the unit you had the right to occupy just before the subdivision. Okay, yep, yep. So, and so the first element or the the cost base rather of the strata unit includes any amount you pay to get that right. Right. Now on the other side of the coin, that is the the person that's disposing of it, uh, any capital gain or loss that the person makes from the strata titling of the units is exempt.
0: Okay. So the
1: actual um, building owner if you like, if they happen to make Uh, a capital gain or loss then that's exempt from CGT okay Um, one of the other things uh, is also to understand that uh, when you split assets and uh, that you uh, uh, you have the same beneficial ownership uh, as I said before there is a rollover there so that there's no actual uh, well no sorry I shouldn't say a rollover it's a there is deemed to be no CGT event.
0: Okay. It's more or less the same assets, but it's a different status. Yes, that's right. It's a strata right.
1: title. Okay, yep. So uh, an example is if you had land and you subdivided it. Right. The same thing. Now, you do get uh, three, uh, say, if you had one piece of land and you subdivided it into three uh, pieces of land, yes, yep. you've got three new assets, but you're deemed, uh, or it's deemed, that there's not a CGT event when that occurs. Okay. Yep. So... Uh, And then when you do get a splitting of the assets like that, the next question is, well, what's the cost base of each of the the parts, whether it's strata titling or subdividing? Now, all the law says is that you can just use any reasonable method. Okay, yep. So what might that be? Well, it might be floor space. Um, It might be the value of the units. So you might have uh, units that have, say, the same floor space, but... One might have more value than another because maybe it's got a better view or something like that. Yeah. that would be another way of doing it, and, <laughs> and there would be other ways of. So
0: doing w- it as well. when the ATO says reasonable methods, I mean, is it a method that is demonstrable that you should be able to show the workings out? Yes. Is, well, is that generally the case?
1: I'd say that a reasonable method is something that is capable of being reasoned. So, okay. Right. Yes. Right. So, if you can reasonably say that this is uh, a way to do it, yeah. then the law simply says that that will be okay. That, that's fine but, then. Yeah. But frequently, it's just done on floor space, but that doesn't have to be the other, the, the only way you do it.
0: No, no. I mean, I wonder if people sort of experiment with different methods and find different outcomes. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know. That's a matter for case law. So, right. So the
1: the member was uh, in this situation was concerned that they wouldn't be able to get the 50% discount, or at least on part of it, because the expenditure in strata titling the units was within 12 months of the sale of the first unit. I see. So um, what's the situation there? Well, um, there is a a subdivision in the capital gains law, um, subdivision 108-D, that deals with where you have uh, separate assets And so sometimes um, separate assets can be created, particularly when you're talking about real property. And these are things like if you build a post-CGT property on pre-CGT land, for example. Or uh, another situation which is now more likely is that if you had a pre-CGT building and you made improvements to that building, above the threshold which is currently $153,093 then mm. and also if you sell it that it's um, more than 5% of the capital proceeds right. then you can have a bit of that asset that is a post asset so that's an idea of creating a separate asset but by and large in uh, in the situation I'm talking about here mm. where you have um, strata title units, you've, you've bought them at a certain time, and I'm assuming here that they're post-CGT assets, right. and you add something to it, that doesn't create a separate asset.
0: Even though it's over the that threshold you mentioned? Or? Yes. Okay.
1: Because that threshold is only to do with pre-CGT oh. buildings before right. September 1985 yep. that have been added to after that date. Yep, yep. And so... Um, now, we do, when we've got the strata title units, there are separate assets, right. new assets, but we've said before that there's no CGT event. So, therefore, we have to go back to the, the if you like, the original CGT event, which was the acquisition of the assets. Now, um, so what will happen then is that that's the time when uh, you will be deemed to acquire the asset. Right. And, indeed, uh, when it comes to the discount. Uh, Question, that is whether it's within the 12 months or not. uh, There is a table in uh, section 115 30 which gives you some special times. So sometimes, and this is only for the discount provision, you are deemed to be given a date that is prior to the 12 months, even though it may actually not be the case. However, in this circumstance, under item two of the table, that where an acquirer acquired a uh, replacement asset for a replacement asset rollover, which this is, the asset is deemed for the purposes of the discount provisions to be uh, acquired when the original asset uh, was acquired. acquired. So, to cut a long story short, the 50% discount was available because... The acquisition date is deemed to be when the units were originally acquired and, and not at the not date artist, strata the strata and and all of Strata
0: title, So, I'll just, that was, uh, table was in section 115 30. Yes, subsection right. one of that section. Subsection one of that, okay, that's mm-hmm. great. That's, that's uh, kind of complicated, but there's an, an outcome in the end, which is, uh, was good for the uh, member, I assume, or for mm. the client of the member. Yes. But still. All right, um, anything else, John? What else came through the uh, helpline calls? Well, uh, one
1: thing I just wanted to mention about the small business CGT concessions. Right. Um, some people do appreciate this, but uh, many people don't. It's uh, just a nice thing to know about the small business CGT concessions. Am,
0: am I right in that small business CGT concessions are a perennial concern with, with business, business owners out there? Always want to know how to get it. Are they eligible? What's the steps? And it's been complicated by all the moving thresholds and and things over the years. Yes. Um, so it seems to be a perennial thing. But anyway, go on. You were saying there's a nice little trick that yeah. you want so, to So, look,
1: it's true. The small business CGT concessions uh, contain, um, I think, the best concessions in the whole of the tax law. Nice. And particularly uh, certain types of concessions, particularly the 15-year concession is, in my view, the best concession in the whole of the tax law. Yeah. However, let's say uh, you can't get that, but, um, you've sold your business, and so you've claimed the general 50% discount, which is outside the small business CGT yep. concessions. You've claimed the uh, what's called the 50% reduction, which people usually refer to as the active asset exemption. Oh, yeah. So you've got 50% and then another application of 50%. Then you can choose between using the retirement exemption or the small business rollover. Now, if you choose the retirement exemption and you're under 55, you've got to put money into super. Some people don't want to do that. Right. right. So uh, a nice way of delaying uh, the decision is to use the small business rollover. And what you can do there is um, have the gain um, just sitting in abeyance right. until such time as you either buy a replacement asset, a right. replacement active asset, Or you uh, decide, for example, to pay the tax. Okay. So the way this works with a small business rollover is that if you do not acquire a replacement asset within what's called the replacement asset period, Mm -hmm. and that period is one year before the CGT event and two years after the CGT event.
0: Uh, now that okay. might be a bit confusing, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh,
1: but that's the way it is because you may have actually thought about the replacement asset before you sold the actual asset that's that true. you're going to sell. Yep. So uh, they thought about that. But the, the point is that even if you don't have a, the purchase of a replacement asset in contemplation, or indeed you never intend that you will, you can still use this concession to delay the payment of tax for a two year period. Okay. And what happens is that if you don't buy the replacement asset, then the capital gain is uh, deemed to reappear, but two years hence, rather than the year in which you've actually sold the asset. Yeah. Yeah. So therefore, there is, uh, if you particularly want to go down this path, not everybody does, Mm. but if you are undecided about what you want to do with your money, uh, that's just a nice thing to keep in mind, that you can always use the small business rollover to delay the tax on the remainder of a capital gain under the small business CGT concessions for a two-year period. And so the
0: the gain is frozen at the time the asset is sold, not two years hence. Yes, there's no
1: um, indexation or increasing of the gain. It just simply uh, reappears (laughs) two years down the track (laughs) and... um, you can decide what you want to do with it then hmm. yeah okay
0: All right John well that's uh, it's enlightening I mean there's some, uh, a variety of topics that you do get across the helpline desk and uh, listeners just uh, please you know take advantage of the the help that we offer uh, with the helpline and um, uh, John it's very informative thanks for being with us today uh, listeners please tune in again next next time.